Welcome to Bigger Than the Game with Darren and Jose. I'm Darren Dove, and I'm joined by my partner in crime, my tag team partner, Mr. Jose Ruiz. What's going on, man? Darren, man, I'm, I'm excited to be here today. What's going on, man? I know we just recently did an episode, but it's always good to be with you in here, brother. Absolutely. And we have a special guest. This, this person is one of our favorite guests because it was really one of the most memorable episodes for us, Jose, and one of the ones that really touched us was when yeah. I can't believe it's going on pretty soon. It'll be two years since he was on last. Uh, it's, it's time is yeah. flying, but this person wrote one of the best books I've ever read. I came as a shadow, you know, with John Thompson and is an unbelievable writer for ESPN. He's a producer, does so many things. Give it up for Mr. Jesse Washington. Jesse, thank you so much for joining us today. Yo, yo, appreciate y'all having me. Yeah, Dermy, he jumped on, and I was like, "Man, that's a nice shirt." And he 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 was saying he felt like it was it was fitting for the show. So I appreciate it. Yeah, I feel like that's how we got together in the first place. So I had to run it back a little bit. And right. um, any any chance I get to rep Coach Thompson, yeah, for the audience that understands and appreciates it, such as yourselves, I'm gonna do it. Absolutely. Now, the first time I saw that shirt was um, when uh, Doc Walker. After mm-hmm. Coach passed, and they had like the tribute, and he was wearing that on his Twitter page and everything, and I'm like, "That's a great shirt, man! I want one of those." So yeah. I might be hitting you up after the episode to be like, <laughs> "Where where can I get that?" What's if, the link for that? Yeah, yeah. the the link is is J Dub, um, <laughs> and uh, if I have your size, I got you. All right, I appreciate nice. that. I nice, appreciate nice. that. But you know, Jose, I'll be straight up. Jose was uh, down for the count in September. He had you know little surgery so he actually was the one who let me know he was off work so you know yeah we all know that vibe where you're off work and you got nothing to do but time and just watching tv and resting up and he texted me about uh this e60 documentary you know the crossover and i was like no i didn't even hear or see anything about that and then that's when he was like no jesse was all over that you know we let's try to get him on. It's like, you know, so I watched it. He had already seen it. And we were, I'm like, yeah, that's a great idea. So we wanted to ask you, how did you get involved with that project? Yeah, man. So first and foremost, shout to the director of the crossover, which is the ESPN hip hop and sports documentary. His name is Julian Gooden, just a talented brother, one of us of the culture. And he did a tremendous job and I was thankful to be included. Um, you know, ESPN has a lot of great producers and, and talented people. And I think uh, I've sort of uh, made a minor mark on our organization in terms of just being a real hip hop dude, you know, um, who goes back to the days of actually me actually DJing on actual turntables. Which are in the background as nice. we speak. You there know you what I'm go. Saying? We got a, you know a little twelve hundred action, and so uh, so some folks were like, "Hey man, we're working on this project. We um, you know can we consult with you and you know just have a conversation?" Me and Julian had a conversation. We hit it off. He he you know really it's all him, man. I'm not taking any credit for the brilliant vision that he executed. I was able to give him a couple of nudges here and there. So I'll take you out behind the curtain a little bit about, you you know, why. So I was surprised at how much I was featured in the doc, but as a director myself, the style of documentaries now, we don't have a narrator, right? Right. So you, it's all comes through the interviews. And when you direct a documentary, and I learned this from my documentary filmmaking mentor, his name is Marquise Daisy, a great director and producer for the 30 for 30 franchise 
has done all kinds of docs from the ESPN's and one joint to Rand University, the great Randy Moss yes. joint to uh, um, the Vic doc that just came out. He's working on the Kaepernick joint right now. And so Marquise taught me that, hey, man, I can get somebody to come in and talk about exactly what I need to be talked about in order to move the narrative of this film forward. You know what I'm saying? So Julian, being the talented director that he is, follows that approach. So toward the end, I, he was like, yeah, I'm going to bring you in at the end. And, you know, I've been around the block a few times with this sports and hip hop thing. Um, I'm going to go back and send a shout to my man, Chris Wilder, a journalist who is editor of The Source Sports Magazine. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? My man, David Cummings, who's over at CBS now. These guys were doing The Source and Sports 20 years ago. And I was writing for them and in that mix. So the director of the ESPN joint was like, yo, let me bring you at the end and do an interview. So I knew that he had to hit certain points in order to explain things to the audience. So basically, man, he was just tossing me underhanded. So, ah, you know, and, I was, and I was knocking him out. Um, and that's how I got to be in that documentary and, uh, and got a surprising amount of screen time but i'm really grateful for it and it's a great film if you haven't seen it it's streaming on espn plus right now probably still popping up on on the the broadcast airwaves the crossover jump narrated by buster rhymes featuring yeah. rakim big daddy kane uh and on and on and on man it's a great film yeah absolutely and yeah you were right because i'm i'm watching this and and Jeremy mentioned man i was kind of like i was laid up for a little bit so but I guess the first time you came on, I must have missed that first appearance. And then the second time you came on, I was like, wait a minute. Like, the dude, look, he looks familiar, man. And then you came on again. And then you were talking about the DJ stuff. And I remember you had mentioned that to us that you were doing that in college before when you went on with us last time when you came on and talked about Coach Thompson. Yes, sir. I'm proud so I, of it. Yeah. So I was like, and they had the picture up. I was trying to get the picture of you, man. But that was the. Oh. If I could just say, man, that was one of my personal highlights because I didn't know that he had that picture. He uh, just snatched it up off the internet. Even better. So quick, and the reason I posted it was we just celebrated the 50th anniversary of hip hop. And I was privileged to, uh, me and my man, Mark Spears, the great NBA, Hall of Fame NBA writer mm-hmm. for, for ESPN and Anscape. Um, the Black Journalist Convention was down in Birmingham and it felt almost exactly on the anniversary. I was like, yo, Mark, let's throw a little set. Wednesday night, first day of the convention, folks will be in town, let's throw a party. He was like, cool, let's do it. And I was like, yeah, so I'm trying to DJ. And, and, you know, I got to, like, as a DJ, there's a couple of ways where you could get busy. Your technical skills could be off the charts or your song selection. Right. So, you know, I'm, I, I don't have a DJ as like an instrument. So, I'm, you know, I'm, I may be a little rusty, <laughs> but I know I could outthink y'all. So I said, yeah, I'm going to play one song from every year of hip hop in order nice. from 1973 until now. And that was the joint. So I posted a picture of me DJing in 1987 as I was promo in this party. Boom, boom, boom. Julian snatched it up and put it up in the documentary. I was like, oh man, <laughs> that was a that was a real life moment. Thanks, Jay. Yeah, that was that was cool. Um, but yeah, like like I said, like, and you mentioned it too, man. You, you and Jeremy also, like you did a great job on that documentary. And the way the documentary opened up. Like I really appreciated, and it was asking like it flat out like what what does the culture mean to you, right? And and I wanted to ask you that um, right off the bat as well. Like I know what it means to me, I know what it means to Jeremy, um, but but to you, Jesse, what what does the culture mean to you? Wow. Well, thanks for asking. That's a um, you know I'm honored to 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 answer that because 
it's a part of my identity and it's hard to describe to young people now where hip hop is mainstream and accepted by everybody and embraced by everybody come one, come all that when I was a kid, you know, I'm born, I'm 54. So I'm born in 1969. So in the 70s, when hip hop is just starting to get going and in the early 80s, when I'm a young man and then turning into a teenager, it was so disrespected and such an outsider culture. But once you were a part of it, you understood this is the young people's movement of this time and this is going to change the world. And it was something, you know, it's a famous quote from from Karis One. Uh, hip hop is something you live. And so if you live with participating in the culture, be it as a DJ or as a fan or as a MC, uh, and then there's a mindset and a and a and a attitude that came along with it. And really, it, it was largely the same as and exemplified by Coach John Thompson in the 80s, which was this was a time of black oppression and neglect and under the guise of, oh, everything is fine now. Y'all got equality. But we really didn't. And hip hop articulated that in a very powerful and revolutionary way, the same way John Thompson articulated it in a powerful and revolutionary way. So those things came together. So what the culture means to me is a springboard and a gathering place for people of my generation to come together and insist upon our rights as black people, our rights as young people, and to express ourselves in a creative way whether that's on the turntables or the microphone or the basketball court. Exactly. What, what about you there? I mean, I, I know I'm kind of hitting you with this, like kind of springing this on you, but I, I definitely want your take on that as well. No, I think Jesse put it eloquently. Uh, for me, the culture is everything that he said, but also uh, in people who have listened to us, they've right. heard me say it before. It's the driving force on we're telling our stories. We're telling our stories and, you know, and I've told many people this when it comes to myself, my family and the culture, as long as I'm still living, breathing, you don't get to write the last word on me. And to me, that's what's very important, because like Jesse said, if you look at it and even a lot of times and you look at mainstream pop culture in the 80s, everything was fine. It's all good. You know, hey, that was the, the civil rights, the 60s, you know. We got the Civil Rights Act in 64, so now we're good. It's over. You're not slaves anymore. Hey, everything's cool. And it wasn't. And it was this active oppression against blacks, against gays, against you know anybody, minorities in general, that was happening, but people wanted to overlook that. And I remember looking in history books and seeing everything and acting like, oh, that's all fine and everything's cool now. And to me, it's like, no, you got to really hear the story. You got to really hear what's going on. So to me, it's telling that story about the oppression, but also telling the story about, hey, look at how far we've come. Look at all these great examples of everything happening to us, but we're still moving forward as a people, as a community. And that's what the culture means to me. Man, that's amazing. And so many good points. And, you know, telling our stories in our own way from our vantage point. And I think prior to hip hop, we, we had to assimilate into this mainstream you know it wasn't like where everybody had access to social media so if you wanted to broadcast a wide message you had to go through some of these right. established channels and for us as black people we had to get in there and you adapt in order to be accepted and to progress um and hip-hop didn't do that 
Even in music, the biggest black artists had to go mainstream. Look at how Whitney Houston's music sounded mm -hmm. in order to become a superstar or Michael Jackson, even though it's still black music, it had to take a little bit of the edge off it. And you know, you'll notice that I'm, I'm giving a lot of props to a lot of people who really influenced me and have given me opportunities and inspiration along the years. And one of them was a brother named Daryl Dawsey, who was a great and is a great black journalist. And he had a column in the Detroit News. I was fresh out of college, this is 92. And the title of the column was Buck Wyler, mm -hmm. W-H-Y-L-I-N apostrophe. And Daryl had a picture of himself at the top of the column in a B-boy pose. And that was when a light went on. I had worked for the Source magazine and stuff like that. Vibe hadn't started yet, you know. But here he was in the Detroit News, a mainstream white institution, being himself as a hip hop dude. I didn't know who he was. I had never met him. But I was like, there is a black man my age being a black man of my age in print yeah. and it's hip hop. And I was like, and that, that turned a corner for me. Then I was like, man, I, I want to do what he's doing. Um, so shout to Daryl Dawsey for inspiring me. We later got to work together. We're friends to this day. Um, so hip hop and the culture allowed me to be myself and gave me the courage to be myself at an Associated Press. And now at an ESPN where they've come to value it and elevate it like the movie that you're calling about today. No. And, uh, and just, I'll say this real quick, you know, for, uh, to you, Jose, you know, we were talking before on air with Jesse about where our show has been. I'll never forget the conversation we had before and after when we were with the, you know, a previous studio and we had that first meeting. And I said, even, you know, the culture that goes to you and yeah. guess what, when we're talking about whatever athlete, you know, Roberto Clemente, whoever, I want to hear that from your standpoint, right. not that other people can't say it, but I want to hear you. What did Roberto Clemente mean for you growing up Puerto Rican in a Puerto Rican family? So that also extends to you as well. Like I, I want to hear those stories from you. I didn't, I didn't want to hear from someone else saying things that doesn't have a connection to it, or maybe they right. heard from one person one time and then now they're running off and telling it. So I think it's important for everybody to be able to tell those stories and tell their history the right way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because there's so many different vantage points. There's no like one way to look at it. It's like, it's personalized in my opinion. Like, what does it mean to you? Like, what did it do for you? And I think both of you kind of just touched on it exactly. Like what I wanted to hear, right? When I asked that question, it's, it's just like, we can give a mainstream answer and just be like, oh, it means this and this and that. And I wanted to know what it meant to each of you, you know? So I, I appreciate you both answering it that way. And a side note, um, hip hop was created by black and brown people. Puerto Ricans were there at the very beginning mm -hmm. and there is no hip hop without the contributions of our Puerto Rican sisters and brothers. Um, absolutely. So, uh, let, let that absolutely be known. <laughs> oh, I got, I have, man, like I'm, I'm 44 and I, I got like the OGs who I remember like were break dancing, teaching me how to do that. And me, I was telling, I was talking to Jeremy about this and, about the documentary and I was like, man, like I know they had Fat Joe on and you know, they had a lot of clips, but I was like, we were there too, hundred percent, man. And he was like, Oh yeah. You know, we were talking about that on the side. And, and, and I, I appreciate you saying that too, because that's a hundred percent true. And there is no culture. There is no hip hop with all, all our contributions. And again, I just think it comes from not, it's not a race or ethnicity thing. It's about an environment thing and where we all came from. So hundred percent, I appreciate you saying that. What? I have a question because 
this this could lead to some maybe not but some debate for you jesse when you think of a team that really defines that merger of hip-hop and sports what's that first team that pops into your mind Ooh, wow okay um the first one is the georgetown hoyas one thousand percent early 80s unapologetically black up on you their whole attitude was aggressive and uncompromising and and you might catch an elbow if you you know yeah. if you stepped in a little too too close you know what i'm saying um so by far plus they had the ill nikes that we were like yo how do i get some of those like we wanted those yeah um and so and then they were led by I mean, if a coach ever came close to being an MC, it was John Thompson. <laughs> he was the smartest, most well-spoken, best vocabulary. Um, people would try and trip him up in the interview. He'd flip it around on him, you know. <laughs> and so so for me, far and away, that's number one. Um, I think the Mets with Daryl Strawberry and, and Dwight Gooden were pretty hip-hop because you had two brothers, young black men, being themselves out there, striking cats out and hitting home runs. Um and then I would also go on to say uh, that, I mean, obviously it's easy, but the credit has to go to um, the Fab Five at Michigan. Um, UNLV, the Runner Rebels with Larry Johnson and them. Oh, yeah. um, you know, brother, your best player has a big old gold tooth in the front. That's hip hop. <laughs> right. Part um, part in the middle of his head. Yeah. Part in the middle of his head. You know what I'm saying? Miami Hurricanes yeah. back in the day, just with the whole swag and the attitude and the, and the outlaw image. Um, those are the ones that come to mind. What about y'all? Jose, you right, go Darryl. first. You go you first. Go? Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, you mentioned, and I didn't, I never thought of the Mets and that's a really good point. Um, yeah. Cause I, I go to those same teams, right? Miami, Georgetown, you know, UNLV. I remember growing up and I remember having a, you had a UNLV jacket. You were, you were a man, you know, even like Georgetown stuff, like all them, all that gear. Um, you know, even folks look at like those, 70s Raiders, like, you know what I mean? Like, they're all those teams that when you had that apparel, it, it meant something. It meant, like, you were part of, like, that movement that was going on. Um, but when I, you know, when I was growing up, it was Fat Five, you know what I mean? Like, as much as it pained me to to look at a Michigan team like that, um, being an Ohio State fan, I'm looking at Jeremy. He knows what I'm – he knows he knows I was going with this. But mm-hmm. it's it's just – it was me out there, you know what I mean? Like, and I and I appreciated watching them and, and them not being scared unapologetic for being themselves. And, and Jane LaRose uh, mentioned in the documentary, I remember watching him talking about it for the Fat Five documentary that ESPN did as well. And he was saying like, you know, when he was growing up where he was playing, it was, it was, it was not a white audience. And then he goes to Michigan and it's all a white audience. And I was like, man, like that's, that had to be such a shock for him, for them, all of them, you know, and that's those little things that we don't really think about when we see college athletics and, you know, moving so far and so forth to, to like the pros and stuff. So, you, you know who it was a shock for? It was a shock for white audiences. It was a shock right. for the white media. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that was the shock. It was a shock for when Georgetown showed up with the all black team. And so, uh, yeah. you know, the, uh, but that is a great point that, Jalen and his teammates are coming from their environments, at least Jalen, because because uh, right. Weber went to Detroit Country Day. Yeah. Um, no disrespect. You know, he's still still one of us. Um, but to just you got to bring your authentic self, man. And that's what hip hop taught us and allowed us to do in a new new generation type of way, man. We're bringing our unapologetic, authentic self wherever we go. 
And uh, I still feel that way, you know, even I'm going to be 70 years old and still hip hop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right. that's, that's the plan. Right. And I, I'm, my pants are going to sag a little bit always. Like, that's how I feel. And I'm not talking about like, you know, but you, you didn't go to the tight pants era, Jay? Nah. Nah, no, I couldn't never. do that. Isn't it? It's no, it's coming back. The 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 space in the I, trousers I know, is coming back. That's awful. Yeah, That's I couldn't awful. do that. <laughs> That's awful. Yeah, and it, and I I was thinking that too, like how like fashion like always like comes back and like evolves, and I was just kind of getting ready for this episode. I was like, man, like I again, like we mentioned the starter jackets and like the bucket hats. I remember having that and. You know, and the baggy clothes and then how it switched over to like the jerseys and then the button downs. And then now everybody's like nice and fitted. And it's just it's it's crazy, man, how things evolve but this, and change. But this, and it got fitted and then it's opening up again. Right. And, you know, they do this in order. So we got to buy new stuff. Yeah. You know, that's, <laughs> that's why all they do it. You know, you know, and so it makes me mad. And so I usually will hold on to the to the old trend until I start to feel goofy in it. Right. And then I'll be like, oh, all right. Let me, so that's how I, I am. Still, too. I still work. You know, like I still remember, you know, and I have children who are young, cool people, you know. And so like my my oldest son was in high school and I remember he had this friend. His name was Max Miller. He's a cool white dude. Max Miller, ill name, be out there hooping. He could rap. And he had on these slim sweats. And I was like, "Ooh, what is that? (laughs) Next thing you know, like a couple years later, my sweats is baggy. I'm I'm like, man, I feel a little bit stupid right now. Let Let me slim this down. Now they're getting big again, man. So. It's uh, but I mean, how do you guys feel? So all these things we're talking about, the fashion and the music and the hats and the sneakers now, like, like everybody has it. Like you got this, uh, some of these jokers running for president on, on the side that begins with R out here, campaign rallies trying to Mm -hmm. rhyme and whatnot. So how do you guys feel about our culture being, um, so mainstream to the point that our sneakers, our style, our slang is being used by people who are not hip hop. I I kind of I'm I'm pretty mixed on it to be quite honest because I feel like what I've seen and especially I'll say he's not popular to say now, but since like Kanye, I liked Kanye gave a different. You could look at like. You know, we had gangster rap and Kanye kind of made that shit. And I like that because I'm like, we need to get a whole parameter of it. Right. But then it becomes that it becomes people who uh, it gets so popularized. I I always tell people uh, and people who are younger don't get this. When I see like Xfinity, like the big like corporation Xfinity and they have X going to give it to you playing like during and I go. When that song came out, there's no way any company would have played that, let alone this multi-billion dollar company. And you see these like white housewives like in this like suburban home and like X going to give it to you. And she's using Xfinity. And I'm like, what? And like people look at me. I go, when that song came out, there's no way that would have been used in a mainstream commercial being played during like an NFL game. And I'm like, it's just so bizarre. And I'm like, it's just weird. And. I'm not comfortable with it. So I, I kind of go mixed on it because a lot of people are just, it's losing that. It's losing that culture. You know, I, I was listening to a, a conversation. I think Torre had on Michael Smith and Bomani Jones. I sent it to Jose about yeah. like the history of hip hop and growing up. Yeah. Like, and it was pre-internet and everything, but to know, you know, being in Philly to know what was going on in the West coast 
and all oh, that's slang out there. Or, oh, okay, that's how to get down with that. You listen to those records to know what was going on in Detroit or down in the South. You know, I have family down South and then we were going back and forth, like, you know, oh, up East coast and they're like the dirty South, but we were kind of exchanging like lessons and notes. Cause they're asking, well, what's this mean? And then I'm asking them, well, what's that mean? And I feel like that's getting lost now where like, Hey, the culture now I can listen to somebody. I don't know where they're from. I don't know what they're saying a lot of times. So I feel like it's a mixed bag for me. Yeah, I, it it frustrates me to be honest, because um, you know, for a long time there, if I was listening to the DMX to your analogy there, me and, and your example, or if I, you know, if I was dressed a certain way, like, you know, people, certain people would look at me and and move away from me, cross the street, whatever they want to do, and you know, I had to deal with that, and I'm not the only one in this call, right? There, I had to deal with that, and um for so long that we had to deal with that. And then now it's like, it's okay to be that, you know, if, if you're certain individuals that you can do that and get away with that. And then they like hop in and out, you know what I'm saying? Like, and that's, that's mm-hmm. where like the frustration for me comes in. And it's just like, no, like I, I'm not allowed to hop in and out of this. Like, this is, this is life. And, and for some people it's not. And I just think that's when my frustration comes in. Mm. I'd be super frustrated with it because of all of the disrespect and and uh you know folks said it was not music and what are you what are you doing why are you spinning on your head and and it's not art you know so so now to have people taking advantage of it bothers me but i really made a resolution to myself to try to be more accepting and embracing because also this is what we really wanted deep down you know the mentality of oppressed people is really wild and oppression can make you think in counterproductive ways. So we are influencing and leading mainstream American culture now, you know, and the fact that young white kids, as they always have, but even now to a greater extent, are consider themselves part of hip hop is a win in a lot of ways. And it really, you know, goes a long way into it's, as far as proving the value of the culture. So I've tried to chill out and not be a grumpy old man as much. Yeah. And I think to your point, Jesse, someone, I, you know, all three of us, not to put words in y'all mouth, but love and study history and know that. And I think that's for me, like that's always happened and always will be happening. Honestly, is, you know, you look at it like, you know, black music. Oh, back in the 50s, like Little Richard and all these different Chuck Berry, whatever. Then Elvis comes along and then it becomes like now that's the biggest scene there. And I, I always get in the base with people about, hey, the Beatles especially those early years, were copying black music. Yeah. And people call them the goats and the greatest. And it's like, eh, I have a problem <laughs> with that. Not that they weren't brilliant. Not that they didn't do a lot of great stuff. I don't want to take away from them. But that's on the backs of so many who didn't get that chance and had to just play at best the Chitlin circuit. And that was it. So to me, it was coming that way. You just see the trend. And that's what history, always, it repeats itself. Maybe a little bit different, may shine a little bit. But it always keeps happening that way. And it's it's important for all of us, but especially if you have a platform to talk about that, talk about like what Jose said. It's like, no, 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 you can wear that and you think you're cool. But then if something goes down, I'm not a part of this. Like, so then it's like it's big to be like, no, 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 I don't get a chance to take it on and off. This is me regardless. And I'm proud of who I am. But guess what? Then don't come over here trying to hop onto this culture and you know, 
do all those Word. things. So it's yeah, it's it's well uh, it's 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 a you're right though. It's a weird balance because you do fight for mainstream, and then you get there and you're like, well, "What was I really? Did I fight? Did I really want this? Like, I don't know if I wanted this." <laughs> so it's a weird thing. Yeah, man. Yeah. What's the what's the what's the thing that you, from your era of hip hop that you still hold on to, no matter what anybody says, you're still gonna rock with. Oh man, that's that's easy for me. Um, because we were talking about like like the fashion and all that. And in my life, like I've transitioned a few times, you know what I mean? Like I, I can remember growing up and, you know, I, I, when Wu-Tang was coming out and I was, you know, with the fatigues and all that stuff, like I was a part of that, you know, the Carhartt hoodies or whatever it was. And then, you know, Puffy and, and Biggie and all of them had me trying to buy Versace, like, even though I couldn't do it, but I was trying to like, look like that, you know? And, and I, I was just, that was just me. Like I was always like evolving and stuff. I would say, and this is a, a conversation I know I've had with Jeremy plenty of times, but it can be a mindset also. Like I'm always, I, I try my best to look nice. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and I don't mean like in a suit, I, I can, we can do that too. But I, I just mean like, I can have a pair of sweatpants or whatever, but I got to have a pair of nice sneaks. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and that's just, I don't know if it was, I know it was the culture, like, you know what I mean? How I grew up and that mentality. So for me, that's never going to change. You talked about being 70. I'm going to be 70 with a pair of nice kicks. Like I, I, I'm just, I am like, and, and that's for me, never shifts good or bad. You know, I've definitely had those conversations with my girlfriend for sure, but for me, never going to change. What about for you, Jesse? What's that thing that you're going to hold on to? Hmm. Um, Playing my music loud in my vehicle forever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> forever, forever. And, I, yeah, I want y'all to know I'm here. I want y'all to know what I'm listening to, you know. And uh, so that that's one thing. My relationship with sneakers has changed um, because the game is just so watered down and saturated. Uh, and I refuse yes. to be manipulated by these people. So, um, you know, I'm still going to – I'm never going to have bummy sneakers ever. But I'm not going to have the sneakers that are that such and such brand tells me are hot and are making scarce right. artificially to make people think that it's a grail. Oh, like, how is it a grail if I could just go and buy it for however much money I want? So uh, but, you know, that's the one thing I'm going to hold on to, man. I'm going to be I'm going to be banging that music out the truck. <laughs> and they're going to be like, what is wrong with that old man? <laughs> 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 my kids be pulling up to the house sometimes and we, cause they drive and we hear them coming. And then my wife will look at me and be like, see what you did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, what are you going to hold on to? Uh, definitely the loud music. I'll, I'll say that for sure. But I think honestly, what I'll hold on to, I kind of like alluded to it is that cultural, like that, like geographically, like, There'll still always be that thing of like, all right, like East Coast is like always going to be like, that's me. And I've grown to respect before it used to be like heated arguments, like near fights with people about it. So like that's different now. But still, like if it's from, you know, whether it's New Orleans, Houston, down south Atlanta, I have respect, love for it. But I'm going to always be like, but that's not me. That I got, That's you. Like, I got point. family down in South Carolina, Atlanta. Like they love Outkast. Love all like they. I mean, I heard Outcast so much for so long, I was almost had to like get cleansed from it because I'm like, all y'all play. <laughs> I was like, like, that's all y'all hold on to is this Outcast shit. But I'll say, like, there's that G that just I'm from the East Coast, and so 
when that gets brought up, that's mine. That's mine. Like I take, yeah. I take that claim for it. So that'll, I'll always have that. Like regardless, even though it's going global and everywhere, but East Coast, that's for me. I, I'm with that goat Philly rapper. Ooh, um, for me, it's Black Thought. Yeah, you gotta. I knew I liked y'all. It's gotta I be. I liked y'all. Be, That's my yeah. man. He's my top. He's in my top five. Yeah, yeah. he's he's no joke. Yeah, he's the most underrated MC. I, I feel. I mean, hey, I'm I, I co-sign all that. He yeah. has got to be, and there's a lot of great, great rappers yeah. in Philadelphia. Great rappers who I enjoy, um, but thought is just turning into something totally different. Yeah, you know. That uh, man, I was listening to uh, Common had a freestyle on the LA Leakers and he killed it, it was great. But you could tell that Common came into that Mm -hmm. with in mind what Thought did on Funk Flex. Yeah, you could tell he's like, Okay, this is the lane that I'm going for, and and he came close, but you know, um, yeah, shout to Thought, man. Uh, Thought, in my opinion, is top five of all time. Yeah, he, he's amazing. And and Jeremy brought up Outcast and one of like my most heated debates and, and I love Outcast. And I remember one of my best friends, it, it was Mob Deep. I'm I'm a huge Mob Deep fan. And it was Mob Deep or Outcast. And I was just we were going back for hours. Oh. Like we were going back yeah. and forth. And you know, he was yeah. I mean, Outcast did their it's thing. It's out man. it's outcast. It's outcast for the record. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is. It definitely is. It is. Yeah. And I love no disrespect, Mob Deep is great. But it's outcast. Yeah, cool. that's that's a slam dunk one. I'm like, ugh. Nah, <laughs> I'm like, that's, that's close. not a slam dunk for me. That's a slam dunk. Outcast is I love outcast stuff too. But I you you mentioned a few teams earlier. Um, you know, some college, some pro. I was thinking about this the other day too, um, preparing for the for the show. And I was trying to think, and I think I understand which sport, but which sport to in your opinion, Jesse, like benefited the most? from this shift to like hip hop and sports um, that, that combined. Man, it's, it's basketball and I'm a hooper, yeah. so I'm biased, yeah. but it, it's it, basketball is the most expressive basketball. You see the most of the player basketball. Yes. You have the most opportunity for individuality. Basketball is the sport that's closest to the essence of the hood. Mm-hmm. It comes from the hood, you know, and there is no basketball without the hood. Even when the hood was, our Jewish brothers playing in New York City in the early 1900s. You know, that was still hood. Concrete, you know what I'm saying? So basketball, the game arose from the same type of streets and environments that hip hop did. So, and now basketball is not the most watched sport, but it carries the biggest cultural impact. It sets the most trends. It sells the most shoes. It gets the most social media engagement even though the NFL has magnitudes, more people tune in to watch on television. So um, basketball, you know, and we got to give credit going back to John Thompson. We got to give credit to AI for bringing that shift in. And if it, you know, it probably would have been another player, but, you know, Iverson forced the NBA to accept and adapt to hip hop. Yeah. He forced them. He had to. You know, they, they had to adjust to him and he refused to be anybody but himself. And it's interesting because if you think about their style and their swag and their presentation, John Thompson is way different from Allen Iverson. But somebody said, and I agree with, I, I wish I could remember who said it. So this is not my original thought that 
on some level, Iverson saw John Thompson refusing to be anything other than what he was and said, okay, yeah, I'm going to do that too. <laughs> you know, well, even though they were totally different, even though John Thompson came from a very conservative type of era and, and AI was hip hop and they loved each other. I was witness to that. Those two men loved each other. Well, let me ask you this though, because I've had this conversation even with my, my dad around the time when your book came out. Now, when, AI comes to Georgetown, John Thompson's at the later part of his career, of his coaching career. Now, when you look, hear the stories about when John Thompson was coaching Patrick, even Dikembe and Alonzo, he was really on top of it. And I'm wondering if AI would have been with a younger John Thompson, would he have given him mm-hmm. that free reign as much? Or how much do you think it was? John still you know, was the man and still he was in charge, but he was an older John Thompson, like, do you think if AI got him in the eighties, yeah. it would have been a little bit different? No. And here's why. So, um, man, I got four kids and, and I'm continually, even to this day, learning how to be a better parent. Mm-hmm. I'm learning more about the psychology of young people. I'm learning more about parenting individually and not having a blanket blanket thing. And so, um, a blanket approach to everything. So I think coach Thompson was a better, more intuitive, smarter coach mm-hmm. when AI came, which was, Toward, you know, 92. So he still had about another less than 10 years left in his in his coaching career at that time. So I don't think that it would have been different. And he definitely he understood something that is really special for a parent and for a coach. And he describes it very specifically in his book, John Thompson did, which is when you pay attention to something and bear down on it and when you give a kid some space. You know, so you have to know when not to know, even though you do know. Yeah. <laughs> and here's an example. Hey, I told a told an anecdote. I think it was on the all the. Smoke it was on all. I know where you're going right. with it. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> and and AI was smoked out. Mm-hmm. Right. He said, "Man, I was smoking that weed. I know I reeked of weed." Yep. And Coach Thompson came in the room. And I was like, "Oh man, he's going to come in here and he's going to walk up to me and smell the weed. And I'm going to be in trouble." And and Coach Thompson didn't call him out. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. He stayed over on that side. Now, we all know that John Thompson knew exactly well, what was going on. They say it on the show. They were like, you don't think he knew? And AI's like, nah. And then it was like, maybe yeah, maybe he probably did know. He did know. They say it on the show. I guarantee, I guarantee you he knew. Absolutely. And I guarantee you that he put that, he calculated that among all the factors in how to take care of this boy. Because that's what he was doing, man. He was yeah. taking care of this boy. You know, that was in his heart. Like, let me get him to where let, let let's make sure that the world gets Allen Iverson. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And if that means that in this moment, I'm not going to roll up on you and throw a fit. But I guarantee you, he you know, he he I guarantee you he let AI know at some point. And so he was such a he cared. He loved those kids and he understood on a stupendously layered and complex level what was best for these kids. So I think that AI, if he would have been there in, in 1980, uh, he still would have been able to be AI and coach Thompson still would have figured it out. But I, you know, so I don't think that he got soft, not a bit. Okay. No, sir. Okay. No, sir. And, and uh, I don't want him to reach down and smack me in the side of the head <laughs> for saying otherwise. All right. Very good point. Very good point. Nah, you know, one thing um, and Jose, you brought up the 86 Mets. And I was, and that's interesting as like a, a team that kind of helped. Yeah. Cause I just, uh, I just remember hearing like those, 
get mesmerized, <laughs> and I'm like, that's so corny. But like, yeah, they did have Doc and Daryl, so I, I do see where you're going with that. But one thing I thought about, and I brought up to Jose, was um, what do you think about with Reggie Jackson in the 70s? Because I'm looking yes. at him individually, but also the teams from Oakland and that 3 P earlier in the decade. And then we know what happens when he goes with the Yankees later on and how those teams, a lot of personality, a lot of edge, you know, the A's with the facial hair, the bright colors and fighting in the locker room, fighting on the field and really just a rebel group. What about Reggie Jackson and his impact on this merger of hip hop and sports? Yeah, I think he was just a little too early. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think if he had come along a little later, it would have been. But the thing is, is that you can't fake the funk with hip hop. And Reggie was just too old to be part of hip hop. The same way, I mean, let's face it. Michael Jordan is a pivotal figure in hip hop. But but Mike? Yeah, he didn't, know, he didn't I, like hip hop like, like that. He didn't like it and he wasn't part of the culture. Mm-mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, and no disrespect. He's still right. Mike. He got a, he, if anybody gets a pass, it's him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, but from his style to his music, it really made me laugh on the last dance because uh, they had all these great rap beats that were appropriate to the era. I ain't no joke mm-hmm. and yeah. LL. I was like, man, Mike wasn't listening to no <laughs> Man, go back nope. and find a, a, a issue of Vibe magazine with MJ and Chris Rock on the cover. Chris Rock is hip hop to the bone. He was asking MJ all these rap questions. He was like, ah, I'm listening to Kenny Lattimore. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know exactly. But, yep. You know, so um, so I think that Reggie wasn't really of the culture, so he couldn't really make that major contribution to the culture. Um, you know, and MJ was a couple years later. But MJ said, man, I grew up in North Carolina. You know, we were listening to Lionel Richie. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, shout to shout to my man with the shag. You know, yeah. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So bringing it, I, you, we talked about where we're ending in with music here. I know we're running out of time a little bit, but I, I wanted to ask you two questions. One question, a friend of mine asked me, we were, we were at, a, at a cookout and he asked me this question. We were just talking, whatever, and. He asked me, what's the one song that would never get old to you, that you can hear it every single day? So I wanted to ask both of y'all, like, what, what's the one song for you, Jesse, that doesn't matter? It's just never, it's going to be, it's never going to get played out. Mm. At one time, I would have said, um, Eric B is President by Rakim, because okay. I started DJing in 86, and... For probably 15 years, I could rock a party with that record no matter what. It would get a reaction. And I remember the first day I played it at a party, I didn't get a reaction. I might have even got a bit of an exodus. Mm. And I was like, oh, snap. It was like, really, it hurt me in my heart. So I wouldn't say that if there's one song that I could, you know, um, it would probably be a song from my youth um, that has all of the ingredients of a great, it has to have the beat has to just be captivating and the lyrics have to be on something, man. If I had to, had to choose, I've never, it's hard to come up with a new rap question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one song that will never get old. And I, I'll say this. I couldn't answer him yeah. that day. Yeah. Days yeah. later, I was I'm like, a, ah, scenario. I would never get I'm, tired of scenario. That's one. That's, that's it for me. That's not a bad one. See, that's I it's not a bad one. If I, I was gonna, but I'm tight. So now I was gonna ask for two because scenario is one, but uh, 
Pete Rock, CL Smooth, they reminisce over you. Uh, that's, that's the other one. one for yeah. me. Those are my two. That never no, get old. Going. Always when it's that you know, I, I should find out who that Instagram guy is. I sent him some clips of him to you, Jose. When like the songs come on, he makes that face and he's like looking real deep. Like, yeah. like those are the two songs when they, <laughs> I could be in the middle of a conversation and I hear him. I go, wait, 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 and I'm just like listening. And they're like, what? I go, shh, I gotta listen. No, 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 no. Oh yeah, and when that beat is just over, it's like, all right, well, I'll talk to you in another three to four minutes. But I gotta listen to this. So those are my two. They never get old. I could hear them every single day, and that same emotion hits me. I'm gonna have to tweet it at you. No problem. Do that because this Do is that. a high. This is a high stakes question, but <laughs> I'm really leaning towards choosing something from the Black Thought uh, genre. You won't go wrong there, uh, man. Not with us, especially. I mean? it, might, it might really be something that thought because I'm a word guy, man. Like that is gotcha. my life revolves around words, and um, you know he's second to none when it comes to them words. So I'm, I, but I'm gonna I'm gonna answer that question and tweet it at you. That's I told you it took me a couple of days. I was I couldn't answer them that day, so I, I'm I'm glad. It's a tough question, especially someone who who's so deep in you know with the hip hop culture. So I, I I'm serious. I, I just, I'm writing this down. Okay, no, I'm, I'm writing this down. Okay, okay, great question. Keep going. Now, um, speaking of, because you mentioned for me in the beginning of the conversation about like documentaries, what's that? Um, and if you can't say it due to whatever, I understand. But what's is there a documentary like that dream doc topic or subject that you would love to work on if you could? Um, well, I will mention one that I'm working on and I can I can come out and say it. Um, uh there's a couple, but the one that I want to bring up is this. There's one high school in America that has more NFL Hall of Famers than any other school in America. They have three NFL Hall of Famers. No other high school has more than two. And what's more, there's another Hall of Famer that's from their town and is really from this, this town, but just lived five feet over the line and went to the next door high school. And that place is Aliquippa, Pennsylvania. Darrell Rivas just got inducted in the Hall yeah, of Fame. Mike so that's Dicker, one. Right? Mike mm-hmm. Dick is two. Ty Law is three. Tony Dorsett is four. How does this happen? There's 9,000 people that live in this town. How does this happen? Mm. So I'm working with the good people of Aliquippa to tell their story nice. and to explain. It's really a miracle. It's an amazing, amazing place. Um, and uh, so that is the doc. It's called Quip. And shout to Ty Law. Shout to Rivas. Mr. Dorsett, Mr. Dicka, Coach Mike Warfield, and all them young lines that they got out there with the Quips, number one ranked in the state 4A. They about to come over to y'all side in a minute and get up in there. <laughs> Bishop McDevitt, we coming for y'all. Yeah. Um, so that's the doc that I'm working on right now, and I'm excited about it. No, I can't wait. That's interesting, man. All those Hall of Famers. One little yeah. school. It makes, that I is mean, one little school. And then you think about like that Western PA – you know, all those players that come out from there. That yeah, all those quarterbacks, from, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's a hotbed for sure. Um, yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a lot, man. Football is a thing out here. Um, and so it's been cool to really get into that culture. And I live near Aliquippa, so to become nice. – uh, to, to earn the, the trust and respect of this community and for them to allow me to help tell their story is, uh, is a big deal for me. Yeah, that's great, man. That's awesome. Um, 
Anything? So anything else you want us to plug before, or you want to plug before we let you? Yeah, man, real quick. And, and you're going to hear my dog plugging from the other side of the door, but that's all good. We love dogs on, on the, in the zone. Um, yeah. So recently I had the privilege of helping Rich Paul write his autobiography mm-hmm. it's called Lucky Me. And Rich is a really special guy. And the title is ironic. People are like, ah, oh, man, you know, you just got lucky, made friends with LeBron. But what Rich does in his book is tell the story of his upbringing on the east side of Cleveland, Ohio. And it stops when he meets LeBron. That's where the book stops. But by telling the story of struggle and perseverance and triumph, you see, A, where he got all the talents that made him and Clutch Sports Group the number one agency in America right now, sports agency. And number two, it also shows how we as a society have a responsibility to look in these places for the talent that is there and just gets pushed to the side or not acknowledged. So lucky me, um, Rich Paul's memoir uh, just came out a couple of weeks ago. I think that a lot of readers would enjoy it. Okay, definitely, definitely. That's interesting. I like that viewpoint. Yeah. Stopping it before LeBron and Rich Paul's a very interesting guy. So that's a book. I got a few books that I'm whittling through, and so uh, that's going to be. I'm going to get that probably in the next couple of days. Appreciate you, man. Shout out to all the readers out there, Darren. You're a reader, man. You, you know what I'm saying? Like that's how we originally clicked up on that came as a shadow. Yeah. So shout out to all my people who read. You can listen to the audio book too. Uh, Rich narrates his audio book. It's not a heavy lift. It's not a long read, and um, I definitely recommend it. Oh, absolutely, man. And we are just so pre- it's always a, yeah. a pleasure and a blessing to talk with you, man. And we're so proud of what you're doing and, you know, spreading the culture and keeping that going and giving us just new and interesting stories all the time. So we're just we're honored to have you on. We're proud of the work you continue yes. to do. So uh, we just thank you for that time, man. We really appreciate it, Jesse. I'm honored to be here with you guys, man. Thank you. Thank you yeah. for Jesse Washington, for my tag team partner. Mr. Jose Ruiz, I'm Dermy Dove. Thank you guys for listening to Bigger Than the Game with Dermy and Jose. Take care. Peace. Peace.